All right, good morning, and welcome to Kahului Baptist Church on the first Sunday of 2019. It's kind of hard to believe it's here already, isn't it? I feel like 2018, did it even happen? Was it even a thing? But here it is, and here we are. Uh, this is going to be an exciting month for a number of reasons. At the end of the month, if you're just joining us for the first time, uh, this, uh, the year of 2018, you can say we've been uh, incubating a church plant, if you will, nursing it, uh, getting ready to launch it off uh, as Waihu Community Church in February. And so the end, the very last Sunday of January is going to be a very special service where uh, they have some of their um, pastors from Emmanuel Baptist Church in Louisville, Kentucky. They're a sponsoring church. And then uh, Todd Morikawa and some other elders from Kailua Baptist are coming out from Oahu. And it's just going to be a neat, very special ceremony where they formally covenant together and become Waiehu Community Church standalone apart from their identity at KBC. The next February, uh, that following week in February, they're, they're meeting in Waihu. They're meeting as Waihu Community Church. And so, yeah, praise God. That's awesome. Um, for perspective, it's been almost 30 years, maybe a give or take a year, almost 30 years since we've done anything like this as a church plant, since we participated in a church plant. So, Praise God, and we are very excited. If you are here from Waiehu or the surrounding areas, I commend to you Waiehu Community Church, uh, as they will be a partner church, sister church, and faithful pastors are there at the helm, elders with a solid core team. So, um, Jay, raise your hand for me real fast. And that's Jay and Rocky, raise your hand. All right, that's, that's going to be the pastoral. Give him a hand. You can go ahead and give him a hand. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, I commend them to you, and if you are considering joining, I would encourage you to do so, and it will be a neat time. So that's really kicking off our year. Today, more literally, we kick off the year with the Lord's Table and baptisms. We have baptisms at Waihe'e Beach Park today at 3.30 p.m., uh, many say we have the largest baptistry in the world here, and so we're going to use it this go-around um, at Wahe'e Beach Park. That's at 3.30. If you don't know where that is, if you don't know where that is, you can meet me here at the church at about 2.45. Uh, 2.45. Try not to be late on Maui time. Try to be on time, 2.45. Uh, and you can follow us out there. Now, I'm going to get there a little early. You don't have to get there that early, but if you want to follow me, and follow me, or follow somebody else. Uh, just make sure the person you follow knows where it's at. The blind will lead the blind uh, to the wrong place. All right, so that's uh, today, Waihe'e uh, Beach Park. We hope you can join us. The title of the sermon is Remembering Christ at the Lord's Table. Remembering Christ at the Lord's Table. Who likes to eat? Yeah, there we go. That's a universal, right? Hobby, food. Yeah, food, right? We all like to eat. I like food. Um, uh, yeah, I'll reconsider. Uh, I like food. Um, I like all kinds of foods, and the older I get, the more I realize certain foods don't like me nowadays. 
It's a very sad reality as you get older that you can't eat like you were when you were in your teens or early 20s. It's hard. But we're going to talk about food today, a shared meal in particular, a very important meal. Today we are going to talk about the Lord's Supper or communion. I haven't preached on directly on the Lord's Supper for a number of years, uh, at least three and a half or four. And I get an increasing amount of questions on it when I don't do that. And so uh, when I first became the pastor, it might even be the first sermon I did, may have been on the Lord's table. Uh, and then shortly after that, and then I might have done one a little bit after that, but I haven't done one for some time. And I get a lot of questions about how and why we practice certain things here, and they're good questions. And so I, I aim to answer some of those. What I want to do is I want to answer what is the Lord's Supper, very briefly, uh, why it matters, and wrap up with some practical considerations. So like, what is it, uh, why it matters, and, and let me just say at the outset, you're, you're not going to get the theological class version, all right? We're not going to talk about transubstantiation or consubstantiation or the real presence of the elements or ordinances versus sacraments. We're, we're not getting into any of that, so if you're hoping for that, uh, I'm just going to bypass all of it. So I just put my cards up front. We'll talk about that later. Um, and if you have questions about that, I definitely invite them. They are important. Um, but I want to answer, what is it, very simply, uh, why it matters, and, and what are some things that we do to practice it around here. Let's pray. Father in heaven, reminded of the first meal in the Bible recorded without your presence. A meal with a serpent and a woman and a man that really started everything we know that hurts the first sin, the first pain, and the, and the pain of what meals result in when they exclude people, nations, races, different people refusing to eat with others. And Lord, I think of the joy, the incredible, amazing joy that Jesus eats with sinners and that you will come back one day and we will eat in your presence with you forevermore. And so, Father, may that hope break in now into our morning as we consider your table, your supper, one of the last things you did with your disciples in eating with them. And may we find there is great encouragement and nourishment for our souls as we feast on Christ. We ask that you would bless our time. Draw many to faith in Christ this morning, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, here's the idea. Here's the idea. The Lord's Supper is a multi-sensory presentation of the gospel, and those who partake in it demonstrate their ongoing fellowship with Christ. It's a mouthful. Did you get it? The Lord's Table... I'll say it again for Whitney, because Whitney didn't get it. She shook her head. She's sitting there. The Lord's Supper is a multi-sensory presentation of the gospel, and those who partake in it demonstrate their ongoing fellowship with God. Demonstrate their ongoing fellowship with God. I have four points. Number one, 
remember. This is aimed at what is it. Remember, number one. Now, there's a few types of people in this world. There are those who remember nothing at all. You tell them something, they don't remember it. And they make no efforts to remember it. You know anybody like that? <laughs> are you that person? Right? The second, second class of people are those who set alarms to help them remember things that you need help. And so uh, you're going to set an alarm. Uh, spoiler alert, if you tell me anything on a Sunday morning, no matter how important it may be to you, I understand. If you tell me anything on a Sunday morning before the sermon, there is a high, high likelihood it's gone at the end of the day. All right, it's gone. There's so much going on in here. I struggle to remember. And so what do I do? And some of you, you set alarms on your phone to help you remember. And then there's a third very special, very rare type of person. This class of people, they set an alarm to remind them to set an alarm. Yes, there's a few of you. You know anybody like that? You set an alarm to remind you to set an alarm and to remember to do something. This is basically what the Lord's Supper is. It is a ceremony of remembrance. It is a memorial, if you will, to remind you during a ceremony of remembrance already, which was the Passover, it itself, the Passover, was a type of alarm in the Jewish culture to remind them to recall the mighty working of God and his deliverance in the Exodus. So it was a ceremony of remembrance already. And in that ceremony of remembrance, it is a reminder to remember something or someone. Jesus says in verse 24 and 25 twice, do this in remembrance of me. Do this in remembrance of me. And so it is like an alarm for an alarm to remind you to remember someone very important, Jesus. Do this in remembrance of me. Let me say this by way of application right out of the gate, all right? Notice this isn't a disconnected sermon from my last week's sermon on sanctification. I would actually argue it is essential to it and an appropriate next pit stop as we think of how is one or how are the people of God sanctified. Let me say this by way of application. Remember, this is the book of Corinth. Paul is writing to a church that is wrestling with division, right? At the outset, I am of Paul. I am of Apollos. I am of Peter. And a very holy one might say, I am of Jesus. They're wrestling with division. So let me say this. If you find disunity in your life, think about your life right now. Your closest relationships, if you're married, your spouse, if you're not married, perhaps your roommate or a near and dear friend, maybe a, a siblings, parents, children, fellow church member. If you're struggling with disunity, then it's very possible and likely that one or both of you have forgotten Jesus. Either his work or his person and you're failing to apply it to your life. If you're struggling with disunity, 
One or both of you have forgotten some aspect of the person and work of Jesus. And so the Lord's table this morning is a very practical reminder for us in our outliving of our faith to remember Jesus. And so far more from being a simple ceremony of uh, just solemnness, it is very practical. And I'm going to flesh that out in a little bit. We'll come back to it soon. But whatever we say about the Lord's Supper, we must not lose this, that it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. This is probably one of the most debated uh, subjects in the history of the church. In the 1500s, Baptists were beheaded for this. Some were burned at the stake for this and during the reign of Bloody Queen Mary because they refused, they refused to acknowledge the doctrine of the transubstantiation of the elements, the real presence of Christ in the elements, and they were actually killed, and children, men, women, many, were killed for this very doctrine. The most debated words, probably, in the history of the church are those four words in this passage, this is my body. What does Jesus mean? What is he referring to? What is happening in those words? This is my body. And whatever we say about that, one thing is certain. It's all about Jesus. Does that strike you as incredibly amazing this morning? It almost goes without saying, doesn't it? But it is mind-blowingly, cosmically, historically incredible, this reality that it's all about Jesus. I want you to imagine something. Imagine you're a Jew. We're in Israel. You've been following the Passover every year, religiously, in obedience to Exodus chapter 12. For hundreds of years at least, you've been practicing this. Your family, your family's family, your grandma, your grandpa, all these people. And in this ceremony, you are recalling what? A time when your people were enslaved in Egypt and when God worked with a mighty hand to bring you out of slavery and he did it through ten strokes or ten plagues on Egypt culminating in the death of the firstborn. And on these nights when you would commemorate this event, your family, whereas we go to, you know, we might take our family to pick out a Christmas tree you know, I'm going to get this Christmas tree to put up in my house for Christmas. If you're a Jew, I'm going to go, we're going to go together and we're going to pick out a lamb to slaughter. How about that one? And we're going to take it, I'm serious, we're going to take it, we're going to take it home and we're going to slaughter it. And then we're going to dip its, uh, uh, something in the blood and paint it on the doorpost, whether it be a hyssop branch or something else on the, the lentils and the doorposts. And then we're going to eat bitter herbs. We're going to roast the lamb. To, the bitter herbs will remind us of the slavery in Egypt. And we're going to do any number of other things along with this. And remember how God brought us out and broke the yoke of slavery and delivered us through the Red Sea. Remember, that, that's you. Imagine that's you. Year after year. You're the disciples now, maybe. You're with Jesus. You've been with him for three years. This is your third Passover with your beloved rabbi. And suddenly this year's different from the prior Passovers. This year Jesus says something very strange. 
He breaks from the normal traditional words of invocation. And he takes the elements that were to be eaten in remembrance of Yahweh and now says, do this in remembrance of me. You see how striking and incredible that is. Imagine if on Easter, where we put a giant spotlight on the resurrection of Jesus, if I come up on Easter and say, it's all about me. Would that not be jarring? Would that not be almost blasphemous? You would be wondering, Pastor, you better do some really crazy wild stuff in the next few minutes because uh, that's wrong. And yet this is what Jesus does. He takes the elements of Passover and he says, it's all about me. The slaughtered lamb, it's about me. The parting of the Red Sea, your deliverance, it's about me. And I want you to remember that. It's all about me. That would be very striking. Very shocking. And it's exactly what Jesus said, because nobody ever spoke the way Jesus spoke, did they? And he said it. And then he died. And as the Passover lamb... Our Passover lamb, he died a sacrificial death, and he rose again three days later, and he parted something far greater than the Red Sea. He ripped apart the veil in the temple and made a way for his people to be with God forever and ever. Amen. So remember, this is all about Jesus this morning. Remember the greatness of our deliverance. Call your heart and your mind this morning to fight the distractions around you and call your soul to meditate on Jesus. Remember his electing grace that came to you, Ephesians 1 says, before the world began. Think on his love and on his mercy, on his perfect obedience to the will of the Father. Think on his death, on his burial, and on his resurrection. And as he stood in the place of sinners, call to mind his ongoing, current, mediatory office as priest for you right now. Recall how the prophet Jeremiah in Jeremiah 17 describes sin. He says, sin is etched on the hearts of Judah with an iron pin. Picture that imagery. What can you do to take it off? What can you do to white it out, to erase it? You can do nothing to remove what you have done. No amount of good works can make you worthy or change your past. But if you repent from your sin and turn to Jesus, he offers by faith and repentance to cover your sin with his own blood. Effectively taking away your sin forever and giving you a new heart. Remember how Jesus relentlessly pursued you. And think about Jesus this morning, and as you partake 
Beloved, let your partaking be an expression of your wholehearted love, trust, and commitment to Jesus to save and to sustain you to the end. So I'm going to ask you, number one, remember. It's all about Jesus. That's what it is. It's a ceremony. Number two, as you remember, it ought to lead you to rejoicing. Many times a somber tone is struck as we do the Lord's, sa- uh, Lord's table. Uh, we, we strike a, a somber, weighty tone of self-examination, examine yourself, and, and that's not entirely inappropriate. That's, that's not entirely wrong. But we must remember, when a sinner repents, what happens in heaven? There's rejoicing. And how much more when you remember the forgiveness of your sins and how there was a party that we ought to accompany that remembrance with celebration and joy and excitement because you are a new creature. We remember the mercies of the Lord are new when? Every morning. That every day it is really a chance to begin again and to live for Jesus. This, beloved, is cause for rejoicing. And when we see the words in 1 Corinthians 11, Jesus says, This is my body, which is for you. That ought to cause great joy to well up in your soul, to celebrate this great sacrifice and a great Savior. So you remember your deliverance from slavery to sin and you rejoice as you remember the victory of Jesus over the grave, over sin. And now we rejoice in the presence of the Holy Spirit, don't we? And the promise of the new covenant. That one day we will not be away from him. One day we will be with him forever and ever. And all the pain that we know now will fade will fade, and we will just be standing there with the Lord, with his people forever and ever. As I prayed, the Bible starts, really, in the garden with a meal without God, where he was not invited. And it ends, Revelation 19, the marriage supper of the Lamb, where God shares a meal with his people, never to be separated from them again. Isn't that awesome? Can't wait till we get there in Revelation. We'll have to wait till February 2020. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Let's rejoice. Let your remembering turn you to rejoicing. Number three, repent. Repent. Verse 27 through 30 says this, Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anybody who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. As we remember this great salvation, It ought to stir us, to move us, to repent from sins that dishonor God and break communion with Him. 
It ought to call afresh our resolve to put to death the old man and to walk in newness of life. So as we examine ourselves, we want to, as he says, discern the body. We want to look for sins of, or signs of perhaps divisiveness, and all sin, sin, I would argue, is divisive. It separates from God and from others. Are you harboring something against a brother or a sister? Are you harboring perhaps bitterness or a grudge or malice or envy? Are you harboring jealousy or any other sin? See, remember, our participation in the elements is really a visible participation in the body and blood of Christ. And it is a demonstration of our ongoing fellowship, not only with Christ, but with one another. But with one another. And so, if you are perhaps harboring this or walking in this, I urge you to make it right. I always like to say, if you take medicine, medicine's a good thing. Almost all medicine has on it a warning label, used as directed. So if you abuse it, or if you misuse it, it can turn from a good thing into a bad thing, to a dangerous thing, used with caution. That's the way the Lord's table is. And so if you are harboring sin, the word is to use with caution. Repent of your sin. Seek forgiveness. And find that the table, the chair, is still open for you. If you haven't done so before the service, then there is reason to consider abstaining until you pursue peace. Abstaining from the elements until you pursue peace. We should say abstaining isn't a sign of weakness. Rather, it's a sign of humility and love. It demonstrates a desire, a heart's desire to honor Christ through obedience to his word, and it is a good thing. It's something that we rejoice in and take seriously. At the same time, if you see somebody abstain, you should be careful before drawing conclusions that they're walking in sin or something. There are other reasons that somebody may choose to abstain. This is one of them. However, in general, you should partake. The Lord's Supper is commanded. You are commanded to come to the table, not only invited, but commanded to come to the table. And so I would encourage you, at the same time, what can happen when we say examine yourself, if you come up with a long list of reasons why you are not worthy, or maybe you shouldn't partake. It doesn't take long. I want to encourage you not to be discouraged. I want to encourage you, the only perfect person to ever partake of this meal was the host. Jesus. The one who instituted it. And so as we partake, we remember that Jesus eats with sinners. Repentant sinners. But sinners nonetheless. And so, I would encourage you, don't be in incredibly discouraged, but seek to make your life, your walk right with Christ. 
If you are trusting in Him, if you are turning from sin as you see it, where you find it, if you are delighting in the Lord, then we invite you to come and partake with us. That's repent, number four. This is where we get practical. This is where we get practical, number four. Renew. Renew. Renew what? Renew your commitment to follow Christ today. Renew. I get a lot of questions. Like I said, I get a lot of questions about this. I get a lot of questions, and uh, actually not so much about this, but it, it is directly impacting this. What is the relationship? Have you ever thought about this? What is the relationship between baptism and the Lord's Supper? Two ordinances of the church. If you're Catholic, you get seven extra credit. Doctrine of last rites, marriage, extreme unction, all that kind of stuff. Penance. We're not Catholic. We have two ordinances. Baptism and the Lord's Supper. Have you thought about what the relationship is between those two things? I get a lot of questions like this because I normally, uh, first of all, I will say something like, if you have not been baptized uh, and you are not a part of a church body, then I would ask that you would abstain from partaking. So whenever I say that, that prompts a lot of questions, and I like questions. Questions are a good thing. Uh, if you ever have those questions, I invite them. They are actually really, really good and important questions. And it prompts that understanding or that what is the relationship between baptism and the Lord's Supper such that I would say if you haven't been baptized as a believer to abstain from the Lord's table. This is why I say this. This comes from ultimately the scriptures, but it's summarized in our statement of faith uh, section 7, it says this, being a church ordinance on baptism, being a church ordinance, it is a prerequisite to the privileges of church membership and to the Lord's Supper. Close quote. It is a prerequisite to the privileges of church membership and to the Lord's Supper. Why? This is all really tied together. That's why it's practical, by the way. So you'll see this in a minute. Why is it a prerequisite? What is the relationship between the two that would make it a prerequisite? Well, what is baptism? Baptism is a public profession of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's one way to describe it. It is that for sure. You can say it is going public with your faith. Baptism is where your faith that was between you and God, you, you bowed the knee to follow Christ, now you go public with that commitment and you say, Jesus, Jesus is the Lord of my life. Amen. In many countries today, that could cost you your life. In many more, it could cost you your job, your family, life as you know it. Today, in America, we have that quite easy. But it is your faith going public. It is one of the first commands of Jesus for his followers. Go therefore and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. It is where we identify with Christ and his people. 
I would also, on the basis of Romans chapter 4 and following, suggest baptism is a sign of the new covenant as circumcision was a sign of the old covenant. That it marks the people, the new covenant people of God. And baptism, we take on a sign, a once-for-all sign at the beginning that we are partakers in the covenant, the new covenant people of God. In the Lord's Supper, here's the relationship. So baptism is one time at the beginning. Lord's Supper, ongoing for the rest of your life. You proclaim the Lord's death until you return. In the Lord's Supper, we partake as a symbol of our continuance in the covenant people of God and all that that entails for our life. I go through this with all my new members. It's really important. I'll go through it with you here, briefly. If you think of baptism as wearing the jersey of the team that you play for, you identify with the team, right? Uh, who's playing? Is anybody playing? Is there a football game coming up? I think so, right? Who's playing? Who? Is it over already? Did I miss the championship? I don't know. Okay, let's say Georgia Bulldogs, okay? Georgia Bulldogs. That's, that's the default. Default. Um, Georgia Bulldogs, let's say I played for the Georgia Bulldogs. I don't. Surprise. Let's say I played for them. If I wore the jersey, it's, it's identifying with my team, isn't it? Do you show up at practice or games without a jersey? No. You show up and you wear the jersey. You identify with your team. You could show up to a game without a jersey, but you definitely won't play without a jersey. It's like wearing the jersey. That's baptism. Going public. It's the press conference. Lord's Supper, to use the same illustration, is that I'm showing up for practices. I didn't just show up for the press conference. That I'm fulfilling my covenant obligations to the team. I'm faithful in my practice. I'm abiding by the standard of conduct. I'm not doing things that are out of step with the team's expectations. I'm playing hard. I'm doing all these things. It is a continuation of my obedience. Baptism, one time. Lord's Supper, ongoing. This also is a cue, we're not going to talk much about it, to the, to the nature of the church. This is not an individual ceremony between you and the Lord only. This is a corporate ceremony. In 1 Corinthians 11, in the broader context, Paul says five times, when you come together, when you come together, when you come together, this is something you do when you come together. Together, not in the privacy of your own home. You cannot go to church on a golf course. Let me rephrase that. You could go to church on a golf course, theoretically. And Waihu Community Church may very well do that at some point. Um, so let me rephrase or clarify that. Your church is not you on a golf course with God or at home alone with Pastor Pillow. That is not your church. It is not something to be done individually. The whole idea of church is uh, when you come together. This is a corporate ceremony. So every time you partake of the Lord's table, 
in essence, you are renewing your covenant vows with God. Think about it like that. Every time you are renewing your covenant vows with God, it is a vow renewal. Every now and then, Pastor Jim and I and others will get requests from people visiting, say, uh, Pastor, I, I want somebody to renew my marriage vows in Maui. Will you do that? The rededicating of their marriage, so to speak. And every time you partake of this table, it is a renewal of your covenant vows that you are following God in faithful obedience and everything that means in your life. That is huge. That is huge. You renew what? What do you renew? What does that mean for your life? Well, it means you renew your commitment to follow Jesus as the Lord of your life. Maybe some of you are here, and this is pretty, this happens in the life of believers. 2018 was maybe a really hard year for you. Maybe it's been a really hard five years for you, ten years. You are the sheep who lost their way. You were not living in accordance with your profession of faith. If you partake this morning, if you partake, let me invite you that it is a time to make things right between you and God. It is not uncommon that when I have somebody who's not been following Christ for a long time and they, they suddenly want to follow Christ, that they wonder, and our culture has kind of done this, and I think it's, it's well-intentioned, but it's detracted from the value and the beauty and the glory of the Lord's table. We do something called rededication ceremonies. You know, Rocky, I'm just going to pick on Rocky, sorry. You sit towards the front, you get picked on, right? Rocky comes, and, and he's like, man, pastor, I haven't been living and following Jesus, and I just feel like I need to re rededicate my life to Christ. And he might want to come forward and, and stand and say, Rocky's rededicating his life to Christ, and we have a whole ceremony. Well, yeah, that's a good thing, well-intentioned. But I would argue we have a ceremony for that already, and it's called the Lord's Supper. We have a ceremony for that. And I would say you've actually been partaking in an unworthy manner, Rocky, so you should repent of that sin and then come before the Lord and his table and partake and remember and say God's grace is good and he is the Lord of my life today and forevermore and I will partake as a sign. That is the beauty of the Lord's table. You renew your commitment to follow Jesus as the king of your life. And I invite you to do that this morning, if that's you. Remember, your sins are forgiven. Repent from those sins and renew your covenant vows before a holy God and come to the table. Today, that's available for you. You renew your commitments. Let's say if I'm a, if I'm a single person, that's what it, maybe what it means for me to renew my commitment to the Lord. But if, if I have other covenant obligations, then that expands, doesn't it? So it's really a renewal of my wedding vows at the same time, isn't it? Can I be in fellowship with God if I go home and swear at my wife for being a moron and beat her and belittle her? If I'm harsh with her, can I be in fellowship with God? First Peter would say, absolutely not. God doesn't even hear your prayers. So I can't recommit my life to Christ individually if I'm regularly sinning and belittling in my spouse, can I? You see how this goes. 
And so the umbrella extends at the same time. It's also a renewal of my wedding vow as a husband to love my wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, to nourish and cherish her. This is what it means for a husband to partake of the Lord's table. For a wife, it means the same for you, that you will renew your vow to honor and to submit to your husband and to uphold him and to encourage him as his helper, as one fit for him. It is a type of renewing of your marriage vows at the same time, and it is a beautiful thing when you think and you come up as a family with your wife or, or your spouse and you partake, you can think, man, I'm going to love my spouse. Not because they're so lovable. <laughs> because that's what it means for Jesus to be the king of my life. That's the way he loves me. Not because I'm so lovable. Spoiler alert, you're not lovable. You're full of sin and the Lord made you new and moved towards you. And we remember that in the Lord's table as spouses. If, you're, if you have children, it expands yet again, doesn't it? If I have children, or if you're a parent and you have children, and you come before this to, to, to partake and to renew your vow to God, then surely that also means a commitment that you will bring up your children in the discipline and admonition of the Lord, doesn't it? Can I provoke my children to wrath and really say I'm in fellowship with God? No. So at the same time, it is a renewal, a family dedication, you can say, where we stake out over my household. This is one of the reasons why I take my children up with me. They don't partake in it yet because they haven't uh, turned from their sins, baptized, followed Jesus. But they, one of the reasons I take them up is because over my house and my heart, I want to say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And I am committing to bring them up in his discipline and admonition. So for our children and for our church family, and as part of a local church family, it is a renewal of your member covenant, isn't it? See, this is that corporate nature of it, that, that it isn't something we eat in isolation, but it's something we partake of as, as one body. I do somewhat just slightly wince that we take wafers and that'll change one day. It's not a huge deal. It's, it's a minor point. Um, but it, is, it does lose a little bit of the symbolism of one body from one loaf. We are all part of the one. Everybody's like, yeah, let's do the one loaf. Can we do the one cup too? We'll fight to be first in line, won't you? But it is that corporate nature. We are one. We are together, united in Christ. And so when you partake of the Lord's body, you are resolving to not let sin reign in the church. To not let it go unresolved. To move toward one another in Christ-like love and humility. To not play petty child games and say, well, they're the ones who started it. Even if they are the ones who started it, I'm going to incarnate as Christ was and move toward them and initiate reconciliation, you see? To not harbor bitterness, resentment, anger, malice, or sin. 
And if you have been, then to turn from those things and to remember Jesus, who is forgiven so very much, so that we may forgive greatly. So with that having been said, let us now turn our attention to the Lord's table. After the offering, I'll pray. We'll have our offering, and then we will turn our attention to the Lord's table in this time of remembrance. Let's pray. Father in heaven, as we remember, this is all about you. History is all about Christ. And forever and ever, we will proclaim the majesty, the honor, the glory, the worth, the excellency of the one who sits on the throne and of the Lamb. So, Father, may this now be a foretaste of that. Lord, may we rejoice over the forgiveness of our sins and may we repent from any sins we are walking in or struggling with. And may we renew our covenant commitments to you, to our families, to our spouses, to our church. And Father, I pray if there are any here who do not know you as their Lord and Savior, may today they hear the invitation proclaimed through the Lord's table that if they will turn, there is a seat for them. Would you do this, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.